We're in the second week of Advent, like we've said all along, and we're talking about peace this morning. Uh, If you have your Bibles, I'm going to want you to open up your Bibles to Isaiah chapter 9. That's what we're going to, we're going to look at chapter, part of chapter 7 and part of chapter 9 together. It's an interesting topic to be touching on, don't you think, in light of all that's going on in the world? I thought, man, you know, the Lord knows how this timing works. Whenever you're planning out a sermon series, uh, you don't know what's going to happen the week of. But sure enough, you know, we have lots of evidence that we need peace. Uh, And I want to encourage you, as you think about this idea of peace, that there is an ability in Christ to find peace in the midst of, of turmoil, to be in a world that's broken and falling apart and still be at rest in the middle of it. There's something powerful about being a people of peace in the midst of a world that's not at peace. And that's the beauty of what it means to follow Jesus is that you actually get to have someone who's more powerful and more in control over your life to enable you to walk through the trials of life so that even though your circumstances are a mess, your Savior isn't. The one you put your trust in isn't. And so uh, I want to talk about that today in terms of how do we look at Jesus as the Prince of Peace. Uh, The interesting thing about this word peace is that uh, the word shalom, the Hebrew word, is the word that we have for peace in the Scriptures. The word shalom actually means when all is as it is supposed to be. If you want to look at a place where there was true shalom, you look at the Garden of Eden when uh, God had created a place of rest, a place of provision, a place of protection, And God had even set up ground rules on how they could live trusting in him to be able to enjoy ongoing perfect relationship with God, with each other, and with creation. And as soon as they trusted not in the God who is their peace and instead trusted in the prince of this world, the God of this world, the liar and schemer and accuser that loves to bring destruction to our lives, the devil, as soon as they put their trust in him, they, they turned away from God in rebellion and experienced the beginning of unrest, of brokenness, of rebellion, and of destruction. And so the garden went from being a peaceful, serene place where the relationship with God was perfect, relationship with one another was perfect, and the relationship with all of creation was perfect, to one of unrest where the relationship with God was broken, the relationship with one another became broken, and the relationship with creation became broken. And that's the world we live in right now is a world that's living out the outcome of looking somewhere else for peace, looking somewhere else for hope, looking somewhere else for our provision. And the, the way you can think about peace or shalom is that you will never experience perfect peace unless you're submitted to the one who is perfect peace himself. Uh, Peace really at the heart of it comes down to who or what you submit to, who or what you look to to rule your world, who or or what you trust in to have ultimate control of your situation. It's interesting that this idea of shalom when Hebrew scholars or rabbis would talk about it, they would often talk about it like, like a tapestry. They, they, would, they would say that, that God is looking at the, the finished side of the tapestry, the beautiful weaving together of all these multifacets of threads and experiences that come together in one big worldview, and God can see the whole thing because God's eternal and can step outside of it and see the beautiful tapestry that he's creating. But what we do is we look at the underside of the tapestry. We see that what looks like chaos or confusion, we see threads that often times look like they're going the wrong way. Have you ever looked at the backside of a tapestry or turned a sweater inside out and, and you looked at it and said, man, I think that doesn't look anything like 
what the other side looks like. And in fact, sometimes you even look at certain parts of the, the bottom of tapestry or the inside of a sweater and you're like, I don't think those threads belong there. Yeah, you ever had a, 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 little, a little kid start to pull on one that like, is like a loose thread? And you realize if, if from, from the, the, the right side of the tapestry or the, the, the right side of the sweater, if they keep pulling that thread, it's going to pull out a whole bunch of that woven beauty that was put there on purpose. But when you look at it from the wrong point of view, you don't see the beauty. You see the chaos. You see the brokenness. You see what doesn't make sense. And for many of us, we look at what's going on in the world or what's going on in our life, and we're looking at it from the underside, and we see a few threads, and we say, those shouldn't be there. And we want to pull them out. We, want to, we think it would be a better world if we were to remove those. And what I want you to, to hear first and foremost today is that God is building a beautiful tapestry out of what looks like a mess to us. And we, we can cry out and go, God, what are you up to? This makes no sense. This world is so messed up. And the first thing I want you to hear is don't blame God for the mess. Like I, I saw the, one of the, you know, the, the New York Daily News said, you know, your prayers aren't working, God is failing. And I know there was a political reason why that was written, but I know that a lot of people are like, God is not present, God is not involved, where is God in the mess? And I want, I want you to say, God is over the mess and weaving the mess into a beautiful, beautiful mess that will be an incredible masterpiece one day. And what, what I don't want us to do is say, God is responsible for all the sin, okay? He's over it, he's in charge, he's sovereign, he's in control, but don't you dare blame God for our rebellion, like, that's the thing I want to make sure we don't, we don't do like in the Garden of Eden. Remember Adam and Eve, when they blow it, what does Adam do right away? God, it's the woman you gave me. Immediately he blames God and he blames others. And, and the reality is we need to realize we're in a broken world because of our rebellion, because of our sinfulness, and God is committed to restoring it, healing it, and making it new. So that's a, that's a good word in the midst of our mess. And we also need to hear this. Maybe we need to hear like God says to Job, Job, where were you when I was putting together the whole world? Like, who do you think you are? There are many days when, when I'm, I'm talking to God about what I see and go, this doesn't make any sense. I don't get it. I'm very frustrated. And thankfully, God can handle Jeff's rant. Like, he's not, he's not intimidated, he's not, he's not insulted, he knows I'm weak and I have a very limited perspective, and sometimes I speak that out a little too quickly, and he's going, oh, Jeff, you don't know. Where were you when I laid the foundation of the world? Where, when I put, where were you when I put Pleiades in, in the heavens? Where were you when I named the constellations? Where were you when I designed the, the, the mother bear and her cut? Where, like, where were you when I built it all? You weren't anywhere. And I want to encourage us, before I go into the text today, we have to believe that there is a God who's bigger than your mind and has ways that you can't understand in order for us to enter into what is a very broken world and, and not try to make sense out of it. In fact, if I could give you one piece of advice, don't try to make sense out of what's going on. You never will. You can say it's broken, there's sin, there's certain things we can know. How God's going to weave it all together is a mystery to me. If I'm going to be really honest, I look at what's happened the last few weeks and I go, God, when are you going to come back? I'm tired of it. I hate the brokenness. I hate the sin. I hate the destructive nature of our rebellion. I hate it. Will you, Jesus, come quickly. Come quickly, Lord Jesus. Maranatha, be here today. I want it to be over. Amen? Anybody with me on that one? I hope so, because if you're enjoying this, like, I mean, I'm thankful to be alive and know Jesus, but I want the, the wicked, broken world to be repaired. I want it to change. And so, but I don't understand, and I'm okay with not understanding because I'm not God. And that's where I have to go, God, grant me peace in the midst of a mess. 
In fact, I want to say this in light of all that's going on. You're never going to experience perfect peace if you don't go to the prince of peace. You're never going to experience perfect peace unless you go to the one who is peace, the one who reigns over it all. And, and at the heart of peace is asking who or what do you submit to and can that or can he or can she actually overcome all of this that we're facing? So that's the question I want to ask you as we go through the passages today. Who or what are you looking to for perfect peace? Who are you looking to for the chaotic, in the chaos of our world for an answer for hope? It's interesting as we read Isaiah 9, you can't really understand Isaiah 9, which is the passage that Donald read earlier, unless you go back and read Isaiah 7. In Isaiah 7, we read of a king by the name of Ahaz. Ahaz was the king of Judah at the time. He was facing a coming attack from the kings of Israel and Syria. And so you've got the king of Judah knowing that the kings of Israel and the kings of Syria are coming his way, and they want to attack him, take him out as king, put in place a puppet king so then they can form an alliance as nations against the bigger and, and meaner nation of Assyria. And they're trying to get ready to fight Assyria. So they're like, let's take over Judah. Let's kick Ahaz out, put someone else in, take over, and then we'll fight against Assyria altogether. So that's kind of the, the storyline. And Ahaz is, is kind of stuck because he's in a moment of panic. He's saying, if, if, I, if I try to fight these two nations, I'm going to lose. But if I lose, they're going to take over our country, and then they're going to lose against Assyria anyway. So instead of maybe entrusting myself to the kings of, of Syria and Israel, I'll go to Assyria, the bigger nation, and I'll become an alliance with the evil one, with the, the enemy of God's people, and I'll look to them for help. And so he's stuck. He's like, i got two options. Look to Assyria, look to Israel or Syria. Neither one look great. They both look like we lose. And he's stuck in this place of panic between two of his greatest fears. Now, I want to ask you before I continue telling more of the story, have you ever been in a place where you feel like you're facing fear on every side? It's like, well, if I go this way, that doesn't work. If I go that way, that's not going to work. i got nothing. By the way, can I just encourage you? Sometimes God puts you in a situation where you have no other option but him so that you'll finally turn to him. Some of you might even be in that place right now where you're going, there are no more options. I got nothing. I've tried it all. God help me. And one of the greatest places you can be is in a place of absolute dependency on God, a place where all your options are, are gone. And, and, and God shows up in the story of Ahaz with a third solution. Not Assyria, not Israel or Syria, but trust in the Lord. Look to him as your hope. And I love this. God comes to Ahaz through the prophet Isaiah in verse 4 of Isaiah 7. You can look in your Bibles. It'll be on the screen as well. He says to him, he tells, he tells Isaiah to say to Ahaz, be careful, be quiet, do not fear, do not let your heart be faint. Love that. Be, be careful, Watch where you look. Watch where you, who you run to. Be quiet. I've quieted my soul like a, like a weaned child is my soul within me. I love that verse in Scripture and the Psalms. Quiet. Do not fear. Like we heard last week with Mary. And do not let your heart be faint because of these, and I love this, these two smoldering, smoldering stumps of firebrands. Referring to the nations. He's saying, Don't, they're, they're nothing. They're nothing for me. 
They're smoldering, smoldering stumps. They don't represent a threat at all to the God who is the God of all. Like, I want to encourage you today, maybe God's saying the same thing to you. Be careful. Be quiet. Don't fear. Don't be dismayed. Don't let your heart be faint. Don't look at what are just smoldering stumps around you and think they're too big for God. They're too difficult for Him. They're not. You're not facing anything that God doesn't have the power and authority to do something about. And whatever you're looking to to rescue you or to alleviate your fears or to grant you peace, if it's not the one who is over all and has power over all, then you will not experience genuine, lasting peace. In fact, God's trying to say to Ahaz, you're looking in the wrong place. That's why you're so afraid. And then I love this about God because he already knows Ahaz already has given his heart to Assyria, but he wants to meet him where he's at. And he says this in verse 10. Again, the Lord spoke to Ahaz, ask a sign of the Lord your God. Let it be deep as Sheol or high as heaven. Sheol is like the place of death for the Israelites. And as high as heaven is, of course, where they believe God dwells. So what is he saying? He's going, he's going I know that you're a mess. I know that you're afraid. I know that you need help. And I'm willing to meet you where you're at. And you can ask for any sign you want that I'm going to help you. Because I can't help you. Ask for any sign you want. Make it as deep as Sheol. In other words, as earthy as you possibly can. As, as, as kind of raw and gross and, and just like screaming out of the guttural instincts of your heart. Or make it as high as heaven. Make it, make it a, an awareness of my great lofty ability. I don't care what you ask for. Just ask for a sign. I'm here to help you. Can I just encourage you? God wants to meet you where you're at. He is not expecting you to to somehow perform for him or measure up for him or to say it the right way. Sometimes all we can do is go, God, help. Help me. I got nothing. I don't even know how to say it. I'm just done. I'm done. I'm scared. I'm overwhelmed. I can't face it. Help. You ever been there? That's where Ahaz is, and God's saying, it's okay. I want to meet you where you're at. I want to come to your level. And I don't care. Give me any sign. Ask me for a sign. I'll give it to you. And some of us are sitting in the room, we're like, you know, we're religious people, and we've been in church a long, long time. We go, you're not supposed to test God. You're not supposed to ask him for a sign. He just said, do it. And here's what we can tend to do if we're not careful. In our religion, in our facade of spirituality, we can say, you you, you can't do that. You can't put the Lord your God to the test. And So don't you ever ask for a sign and don't you ever be weak and don't you ever admit how desperately you are in need. Like you gotta put it together. You gotta preach the right word to yourself. You gotta have the right passage of scripture. You gotta pray it in the way he likes. No way. The beauty of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the beauty of Christianity, the beauty of our Savior Jesus is he doesn't expect you to get it together to come to him. He comes to you in your mess. He meets you where you're at. He's, he is not expecting you to put it all together in the right possible form. He just wants to come and meet you where you're at with his peace. Ask the sign of the Lord. He wants to meet you where you're at. And let me just be clear. He wants to bring, first of all, peace to your person. 
not your circumstance. Too often we misunderstand peace as something that's going on around us instead of what's going on inside of us. And he wants to bring peace to you, to your heart, in the midst of a circumstance that maybe doesn't have peace. I love this passage in Isaiah 26, verse 3. You keep him in perfect peace, whose mind is stayed on you, because he trusts in you. See, see, God wants Ahaz to stay his mind on God. So that, that idea of mind is not just the intellectual capacities of your ability to, to process information. The biblical understanding of mind is the center of your being. It's, it's another way of saying, station yourself on God. Place yourself in the weight of your worries, the weight of your struggles, the weight of what you're facing, all on God. Throw yourself on God. He will keep in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you. It's that, oh, that, that place of saying, God, I can't do it. I'm throwing myself on you. I, this world is a mess. It's not at peace, but I can be at peace in the middle of the mess because I want to throw myself on the Prince of Peace. That's how I can find peace. This isn't just, to be clear, this isn't like thinking happy thoughts, okay? This isn't walking around going like, think happy thoughts, think happy thoughts. It's going to be okay. No, it's not. And yes, it is, right? It's a broken world. Don't deny it. Don't try to minimize the reality of sin and, its, and our rebellion against God and what it produced. It's really bad. And at the same time, don't minimize God's ability to rescue you from it. He's really good. He's really powerful. So I stay my mind on him. I throw myself on him. I put the weight of my hopes on him. I, I, I throw my life down on the one who can pick it up. I don't know if you guys experience those moments of peace when we're here at the gathering. You ever have, like in the middle of a gathering, you're like, yes, I needed that. Whew. Singing a song maybe, and you're like, oh, yes, all my sin you did bear. Thank you. Peace. You know what I'm talking about? It's the reason why we gather together. We need to be reminded of the peace of God that's for us in Christ Jesus, that we've been made right with God through Christ, and that we can walk with God because of Christ, and we're not alone in this world. And hopefully, during our gathering times, you experience those moments of peace. Can I encourage us? Let's ask God to multiply those moments of peace throughout the week, that we learn how to stay our mind on him all week long in the middle of the mess. He wants to walk with you through it. One of the things I love about God saying, make the sign as low as Sheol or as high as heaven. What I, what I think he's, part of what he's saying there is, I'm in both. I'm in the lowly, messy, everyday, mundane stuff of life, and I'm in the, what seems to be the high and lofty moments of life. It, I'm not just here with you in the gathering when, we, when we're talking about, about Jesus. I'm here with you wherever you go. Like last night, some people stopped over at our house to drop off their kids and we were watching them and uh, they pulled in and said, oh, I think we have a flat tire and of course we're quick to say, take our car, you gotta get to the thing you're gonna get off to and then I immediately realized I've gotta change this tire now. <laughs> and it wasn't a nice night, if you remember. It was a wet night. And I'm just sitting there going like, I don't really wanna go out in the dark and the wet and change a tire by myself. He will keep in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on thee, the one who entrusts himself to the Lord. And I'm, I'm, I'm not kidding. I was in that moment last night going, 
I just want to watch the football game. Go State. Anyway, side note. I'm from Michigan, so I had to. And I, I just, and so I'm out there, and I'm like, Lord, I, want, I, need your, I need your peace. I need your love. I need your help. I don't want to do this right now. And I got that. In, in the lowly stuff of changing a, a tire, I got the peace of God. And it became a little moment of worship, a little moment of Jeff needing God and me just saying it out loud. This last week, we got giving reports on Monday, and it wasn't the end of the, you know, it was the last day of the month, so we still had one more day left, but um, some of the guys were a little discouraged about it and came to me and said, hey, are you worried? Like, you, you know, you, you freaking out about this? And I said, oh, no, I'm, I've been in this long enough to see God provide over the years. I've been serving the, the church for 24 years, and he always takes care of our needs, and I just don't freak out about that kind of stuff. I'm just kind of at ease about it. And Tim and I were talking, and Tim was like, I don't know, man. Like, are you, like he, was, he was struggling with some belief. And all of a sudden, he's got his computer open, and we're talking in the middle of the meeting, and, and all of a sudden he goes, wait a minute, what? And I'm like, what are you doing? Like, well, we're having a meeting here. Where, where are you going? He's like, you just, you'll never believe what just came through. Like, a, a really big gift just showed up in the, on the computer. He goes, wouldn't God be like that to me? Just meet me where I'm at and tell me, like, trust me. And I said, he's always like that to you. Sometimes he needs to give you a sign, though. Sometimes we need a sign. It's okay, by the way. Gideon needed a sign. Ahaz needed a sign. Maybe you need a sign. And Ahaz, in his pietistic answer, says to God, I will not ask, and I will not put the Lord to the test. By the way, that's not the way you quote scripture. When God tells you to do something, you don't quote scripture to tell him no. Just a little hint, (laughs) okay? Like if you ever find yourself arguing with God with his word, you're in a bad position, okay? Because you've misunderstood something here. Ahaz has misunderstood the heart of God. And so he takes a pietistic approach, but it's really just a smokescreen for his unbelief. That's all it is. Can I just encourage you, don't let spirituality, don't let religion, don't let spiritual disciplines become a smokescreen for your unbelief. Don't let it become a facade that keeps you from saying to God, I really need you today. I really need help. To which Isaiah responds in verse 13. He says, hear then, O house of David. He's getting a little frustrated. It's almost like going, okay, you don't get it. God just said he would give you whatever you ask to help you in your need, and you won't even ask God for help. So here, here then, O house of David, is it too little for you to weary men that you weary my God also? A little frustrated, Isaiah is. Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. In other words, even if you don't want it, you're getting it. I love that. Sometimes God forces himself into your life, by the way. You go, no, 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 I don't need you. He's going, yes, you do. And I am not going to give up on you. And I am going to knock the door down and break into your life and tell you how much you need me. I will be the sign. And this is what I love. He says, behold, here's the sign. The virgin shall conceive and bear a son. And listen to this. Shall call his name what? Emmanuel. What does Emmanuel mean? We know this last week, right? What does it mean? God with us. What's the sign? God. What is he saying? He goes, A.S., you won't even ask for what I want to give you. So you know what? Even though you don't ask, I'm giving you me. 
I'm the sign. The virgin will give birth to a son who will be called Emmanuel. God will show up in the middle of your mess even when you don't ask for it. I'll tell you what, that gives me a ton of peace because I bet there's a lot of messes right now I don't even know about in my life that God's going, I'm gonna break in and help you with that one too, Jeff. You know what I'm talking about? And you guys experienced that where it's like you didn't even know you were messed up and God knew it and you didn't even have the sense to ask for God's help, but he showed up anyway? That's what he's saying here. He's saying, Ahaz, you can't even humble yourself enough to ask for help so that your nation could be saved. I'll save them. I will be the better king. I will be the prince of peace for you. And I love this sign because God says, ask for it as high as heaven or as low as Sheol. And what does he do? He dives as low as Sheol. Jesus God, the God-man, takes on flesh and dwells among us, and he doesn't just become a little baby born into a poor little family in a, in a manger in a small little town of, of no, uh, no fame at all. Jesus grows up with nobody really noticing except for a, some, some shepherds and, and some animals and some angels. I mean, like, this is the king of the universe showing up in the neighborhood, and no one takes any notice. And then he spends his entire life living in obscurity in this poor little family in this small little town that nothing good comes from. And he, he doesn't just enter into the world in humble means, but we know that Jesus becomes the lowliest of the lowly. Paul says to the church in Philippi that he made himself nothing, taking on the form of a servant, being humble to the point of death, even death on a cross for you and me. That's the depths of Sheol. Jesus lowered himself so he could lift us up. Jesus went to the cross and took on our sin and our rebellion and the brokenness of this world so that he could relieve the weight of sin from our shoulders. He did that for us. As deep as Sheol, the sign is, and as high as heaven, the sign is, because it's not just God taking on flesh, but it's God showing up in the neighborhood to rescue us from our sin, to overcome not just sin and Satan, but death itself. There's the sign. You got it. And I want to ask you, where are you going right now for your help? Where are you going for your peace? Don't look to your circumstance. So we're going, yeah, I got, you know, I, I'm never going to have peace until this relationship gets repaired. Well, someday it will, but go to the one who can heal the heart. There's so many times when I, I, have, I have to, in relationships that didn't go well, and I'm, I'm waiting. Please, Lord, help them to, to be reconciled with me. I want this relationship to be cleaned up. And God's going, you're, you're not the one who does this. I do it. I have to change the heart. You can't. Stop trying to control the weight of the world. Stop trying to to change a heart. Just entrust yourself to me. He will keep in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you. God, I'm I'm staying my mind on you for this relationship and I've got to let you take it. I cannot carry it anymore. I can't fix it. I can't change somebody. I, I got enough to deal with just to get my heart submitted to him. That's enough work every day for me. Maybe for some of you, that's all you need is just go, this heart needs to learn how to experience peace before I expect the world to experience peace. What are you looking to? A relationship? Someone to finally say they're sorry? A job that will get better? Children that will turn out great? Political reform? Can I just encourage you, there's nothing wrong with us wanting good government, good policy, good standards, but don't, don't, don't ever think that that's gonna give us peace. 
in this world. Because every single person who will ever be serving in a, in a political office is just as broken as you and me and in need of a Savior, Jesus Christ. And, and until every heart on the planet is submitted to Jesus Christ, we're not going to experience perfect peace. Because only He can give you perfect peace. And until we're all submitted to Him, we won't experience it perfectly. You can experience it personally, but we can't experience it globally until that happens. It will happen one day, but please don't entrust yourself to somebody other than Jesus to bring it about. Only Jesus will bring about perfect peace in the end. So run to the Prince of Peace to give you perfect peace. Okay, so that's the background. Now let's go to Isaiah 6, or Isaiah 9. Because this is the passage we often read at this season, but you need to have the picture of the dark and the gloom. And I don't know if you know what happens when Ahaz continues to say no, but he goes to Assyria. He looks to the enemy nation to, to rescue him, and then the people start to look to, uh, like, praying to the dead and trusting in like mediums and spiritists and all kinds of craziness. And, and, and Israel it starts to just look like every other nation just completely running away from God to find their hope and their help. And what does God do? He lets them. Okay, so before I read Isaiah 9, I want you to know God let them experience the fruit of their idolatry. He let them experience going to the wrong source for peace to show them it would never give them perfect peace. You know much of Israel's history, it gets really, really bad. The city of Jerusalem gets razed, completely destroyed. The temple is, is blown apart. It's gone. Israel is not experiencing the peace that they could have under God's authority. And God just lets them have it. And here's the thing I want you to know. God will let all of us submit ourselves to another God, to another prince, as it were, so that he'll, we'll come to discover there's only one who can give us perfect peace. And you might go, why does he let us do that? I don't know. Other than I do know, it sure makes him look amazing next to everybody else. The more that I've found perfect peace in Christ, the more that I've been prone to not run towards all the false promises of little gods, smoldering stumps that can't promise me anything. Maybe that's what he's doing in your life right now. Maybe he's saying, I'll let you have what you want. I'll let you go to another source, but it'll never give you what I can give. And I'm still here, like I was with Ahaz, saying, just ask for a sign. Just ask for help. Let it be high, let it be low. I am Emmanuel, God with you. I want to meet you with peace. So Israel didn't experience it, and so this is the word spoken to the prophet Isaiah. There will be no gloom for her who is in anguish. In the former time, he brought into contempt the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. By the way, those two places are the first groups of people that were brought into captivity uh, by the enemy nation, the first groups of God's people that were made captives. But in the latter time, he has made glorious the way of the sea, the land beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the nations. And before I go any further, it's important to acknowledge that what he's referring to is what Matthew later uh, says about Jesus Christ in Matthew 4 when Jesus starts his preaching ministry. Uh, it's also in Luke 4 uh, that the place he goes to is the place of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. Basically, God shows up to, to bring good news to, to the place where it was the darkest where it was the worst, where they, where they remember they were brought into captivity. So it's, like, it's almost like God is going, I'm going to go into the worst possible memory you've ever had, and I'm going to show up with light. Maybe some of you are in that place today, today where you're going like, 
He can't bring light there. That was really bad. Oh, yes, he can. He can bring healing anywhere. The question is, do you want it? Do you want his light to shine? Do you want the gloom to be cast away? Do you want hope to be brought in? Do you want peace to be experienced? And Jesus is that one who brings it. Verse 2, the people who walked in darkness have seen a great light, referring to Jesus. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them light has shone. I found that sometimes the, the light shines brightest in the darkest places. And maybe you're going, man, it's really dark right now. I want you to know the light of Christ wants to shine on the darkness of your heart right now. There's no devastation that's too great for God. And he goes on, you have multiplied the nation, you've increased its joy. They rejoice before you as with with joy at the harvest as they are glad when they divide the spoil. It's not gonna end in gloom, it's gonna end in joy, a big party. Do you guys ever like reading the end of the story? You should if you're a Christian because the end of the story tells us there's a big party coming. The end of the story tells us there'll be no more tears, no more sadness, no more despair, no more gloom. In fact, the end of the story tells us we won't even need a sun because Jesus will be the sun, that he, he will shine so brightly that we'll be overcome with the glory of the Lord in such a way that we will party forever with him. I can't wait for that day. I'd take it tomorrow. I'd take it right now. Then he goes, for the yoke of his burden, the staff for his shoulder. The yoke of his burden and the staff for his shoulder. The rod of his oppressor, you broken as on the day of Midian. For every boot of the tramping warrior in battle tumult and every garment rolled in blood will be burned as fuel for the fire. Do you hear what he's saying there? He's saying, Jesus is going to deal with all of the sin and all of the oppression and all of the brokenness and all that's made this world a terrible place to live. He's going to carry it on his shoulders. I hope that when you see the cross, you don't just think of a past experience, but a future reality. You look at Jesus and you see Jesus who's taking on all the sin and all the brokenness on his shoulders in that moment. And when he died for our sins, he didn't just die to forgive us of our sins, but to break the curse of sin, to break the power of sin, to overcome sin for you and me today. And future hope that one day all of it will have been on his shoulders and he will take care of all of the oppression and set all of us free and we will experience eternal joy and freedom in Christ never again to face sin, Satan, or death ever, ever again. That's what we're hoping in. That's the only hope I've got. He's taking it on his shoulders. In fact, maybe some of you are going like, okay, Jesus, take the burden off me. I love that language of yoke. It's, it's, a, it's that big, heavy, wooden thing that you put on an oxen when, they, when, they're, tra- when they're, they're going through the field and you just think of the weight. Have you ever watched an oxen carry a yoke? And you feel the weight of sin heavy on your shoulder? The weight of the brokenness of the world heavy on your back? The plight of humanity weighing you down? You weren't meant to carry it. He is. He can. Put it on him. Cast your cares on him, for he cares for you. First Peter says, humble yourself under the mighty hand of God. And in due time, he'll lift you up. Maybe some of you are going like, I need to be lifted up now. 
In due time, God will lift you up. Cast your cares on him. Cast your anxiety on him. Stay your mind on him. And I love this in verse 6. And pay attention to the, the pronouns here. For the preposition and the pronoun. For to us, a child is born. To us, a son is given. To us. I, I know that this might sound cheesy. It shouldn't. I know it does because unfortunately I don't think we've learned to really appreciate Jesus as the gift of God to us, but the greatest gift you're going to get is Jesus. The gift of Christmas is unto us. A child is born. You know what that means? The language of a child here in Isaiah is we needed a human to come and live the life we couldn't live. We needed a human to come and experience the pain of sin that we feel every day. We needed a human who could actually walk in our shoes. We needed a human who could overcome sin, Satan, and death for us. We needed a human who would not give in to the temptation to look elsewhere for his peace. We needed a human who would live our life in our place, die our death for our sin, rise again on our behalf. Unto us, a child is given. We needed a human. That's Jesus. Not just to forgive us, but to know us, to understand us, to be able to say like the writer of Hebrews says, he was tempted in every way just like us, but with, with, without sin, that he feels what we feel, he experienced what we experience, he knows what you're going through. The, the Bible says that one thing we can know about God is he's a God who sees. Elroy, the God who sees He sees you. He sees your weakness. He sees your struggle. He sees your pain. He sees what you're going through. He knows unto you a child was given, a human who knows you, a human who lives on your behalf, a human who did what you can't do for you. And to us, a son is given. When you see the word son in the prophets, especially Isaiah, you know that what it means is that's the son of God. That is the divine one. So we've got a human who came and lived and knows and sees, and we've got a God who overcomes and is victorious over sin for us in Jesus, the God-man for you and me. The prince of peace. See, God's not willing to stoop. I'm sorry, God is willing to stoop low. A child has been given to us. And God is willing to go as high as the heavens. A son has been given to us. Man and God in Jesus And the proper response, like 1 Peter 5 says, I quoted it earlier, is to humble ourselves. Therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so at the proper time he might exalt you, casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. God invited Ahaz to humble himself and say, I need help. Because he was willing to meet him and help him. I guess I want to just encourage you today. If you've been fighting against God's help, you'll never experience peace because you don't experience peace when you are in rebellion against peace itself. You won't experience peace when you're in rebellion to the prince of peace. You won't experience peace when the 
the maker and sustainer of all of life is the one that you're refusing to go to. Turn to God today. Ask him for help. Humble yourself. He's given you a sign. Emmanuel, God with you. He wants to enter into your world and help you. And that's the beautiful things that ultimately he gives us himself as our hope. Listen to these descriptions. His name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. See, God doesn't just give us peace, he gives us himself. That's pretty amazing. The greatest thing you can do is give somebody yourself. God doesn't just give you peace, he gives you himself. And just think about those words, wonderful counselor. You go, man, I, I need counsel, I need wisdom, I don't know what to do. He's there. And if you lack wisdom, James says, and ask of God, he'll give it to you. Take him up on his word. Mighty God, nothing is too big for him. Everlasting Father, he loves you. He gave you life, he sustains your life, he'll keep your life. He'll provide for your life. Go to him. Prince of peace. He has sovereign authority and rule over all things. He sees the right side of the tapestry and he's weaving it together in perfect shalom. And know that his rule is expanding and eternal. Listen to this. Of the increase of his government and of his peace, there will be no end. I know all of us have experienced temporary peace. I don't want temporary peace. I want eternal peace. I want a rule and authority that will never end. And at the end of the day, peace is all about who you submit to, and I want to submit to the one who has the eternal kingdom, not the temporary ones of the world. His rule is eternal. And it's not just eternal, but of it, it has no end. In other words, it's ever-increasing it's, 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 it's experienced in greater amounts over and over again every day, hopefully in your life as you learn to walk with him, but in the world eventually all of us, every knee will bow, every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. That day will come. And this week as I was praying through how to speak about this idea of peace, I was directed back, I think, by the Spirit to Deuteronomy 6, verse 4, where we have the Shema. Do you know what the Shema is? The Shema is the hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one. Now, there's a lot of ways to hear that, but please understand in their context, that was a a direct affront to the polytheism of the day. That in their day, they believed there were many gods. The God to the harvest, the God of the rain, God of the sun, God of work, God of family, all these gods. And so can you imagine what it's like to walk around all day long going, which God am I going to worship? Which God am I going to serve? Okay, I please that God, and I please that God, and I please that God, and I've appeased that God, and I've made that God happy. Life should go well now. And what Israel found out as God revealed himself to them is, those aren't gods. There's only one God, and that God is God over everything. So you can walk along the way and sit and rise and talk about these things with your children because he's the same God of the walk, of the rise, of the sit, of the meal, of the work, of the play, of the rest. He's the same God over all things. And the, the thing that was true to a Jewish person is they understood they were living all of life as an act of worship to the one God and they didn't have to jump from God to God to God to God to God throughout their days. There was only one. 
That's who we know in Jesus Christ. He is the one true God, and he is now, has authority in our lives in everything we do. Can I encourage you? You want to walk in a way that gives you peace? Learn how to live for that God in every single thing you do. Learn how to take the experiences of peace that maybe you even had him while I was preaching. You're like, yeah, that's so good. And just start to translate into staying your mind on him in everything. We don't, we don't go to church. We are the church because God is not in this building. God is in this world and God is in our hearts. And everywhere we go, we're living as unto the one God who's the God over everything. But here's what I know about every one of you. I can say this with absolute certainty. You live unto many other gods. You go, no, no, that's not true. I do. Your boss, every once in a while, has a lot more authority and power in your mind, in your heart, than God. Your, your kids, oh my goodness, if they don't turn out well, well who am I going to be? Oh my goodness. Your grades, they define me. I got to be. It's okay, by the way. Most employers, you'll be all right. <laughs> Do you know what I'm talking about? We live through our day like, oh, there's a God I got to worship, and there's a God I got to serve, and oh, if I don't get that right, there, oh, I'll, I'll be nothing. We live like we're polytheists instead of the Shema. Here, O Israel, there is one God. And I'll tell you what, the sure way to peace is to live all of life under the reign of the Prince of Peace. That's the sure way to peace. Every single moment, this is for you who has the other side of the tapestry in mind, who will bring it all together in perfect timing. At the end of the day, it will be beautiful. Abraham Kuyper says this, there is not a square inch in the whole domain of our human existence over which Christ, who is sovereign over all, does not cry, mine. At the end of the day, he is the king of kings. And if you want peace, you submit to the one who has authority over all. You know, the really good news about this season, as we run to the Prince of Peace who gives us peace, you and I might actually get to be agents of peace to other people. It's pretty hard to bring peace to people who are lacking peace if we don't have it in our own hearts. But God wants to bring peace to you with his work through Jesus Christ so you and God can be right before he can expect to work through our lives to bring peace to those who are in need of God. My hope this season is that we would all run to the Prince of Peace to get perfect peace so we could be a people of peace and bring Jesus to the world. Maybe you're here today and you've never ever experienced the perfect peace of God that transcends all understanding. Today I want to invite you to come to Jesus Christ as the one who made you right with God through his sacrifice on the cross so that you could have peace with God first because if you don't have that, you won't have peace anywhere else. The rest of us who have already experienced that, can I encourage you to keep running to the Prince of Peace for perfect peace so that you can be a person of peace in a world that desperately needs hope, love, joy, and peace. Let's pray. Father, thank you for meeting us in the place we live with your perfect peace. Thank you for making peace, Jesus, before God the Father through your death on the cross. And Father, thank you for giving us your very self to be peace for us. I pray for everyone in this room that we would not be like Ahaz today, afraid to admit that we need you, that you would help us to push religion or worldliness aside and acknowledge we desperately need the Prince of Peace right now. Come reign in our hearts, Lord Jesus. Come have your way in our lives. Lord, even if, even if the world doesn't know peace, would you help us to be lights in a dark place of a people peace? Lord, I pray for anyone here that doesn't know that today, that they would come to you. 
cry out for your help, humble themselves and admit their need and receive from you grace and peace from Jesus Christ, our Lord. We pray in his name, amen.